1: It's
2: the second time it's gone on. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really.
3: No, you can laugh. i need the walk-up.
1: I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, did you know what I'd like to stay alive? Oh, I'd say it to you, thanks. I'll say it what to what now. you now.
2: I'm come down to Anfield, and we'll see them, will What you doing down
3: here, you show me, man.
1: <laughs> it's the Irish Times second captain's football podcast with Owen and Ken. How are you, Ken? Good. How are you, How are you Owen? I'm pretty good, Ken, because yesterday I discovered the secret, the one quality required above all others to make it as a top Premier League footballer, especially if you play for Chelsea. Do you want to know what it is? There was a bit where you're supposed to say, what is this? One Balls? Quality. Balls.
3: That's and me. He's always going on about balls. He he actually he's a little bit prudish about the word. He uh, has a ten- He has a habit of. Uh, when he wants to say it, he writes it on a piece of paper and shows it to the, shows it to the journalists. Mm-hmm. He writes, writes the word balls. I remember balls this from last season, yeah. And, uh, or big balls. I think he wrote, he's written that as well. So he, did, he doesn't want to necessarily say it. He's, he knows it's a family show on Sky Sports News. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's something that he... I mean, if, I, if, you, if you're asking me, Alan to say what I think you need, I would probably put that number one. Balls is up there, Ken. Okay. You've got to have balls. But another
1: one, I think even above that, selective hearing. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you why. Cesc Fabregas, right? Mm. I was interested in his post-match quotes yesterday. He said it meant a lot to go back to Arsenal and feel the love <laughs> of his former supporters. Now, okay, he got a certain amount of cheering when he went off. Most of what I saw was him being booed, him being laughed at when he's booked for diving, and then him being booed mercilessly as he was leaving the field it was only when he showed a bit of acknowledgement to the fans that hey no hard feelings I, I can be the bigger man here at that stage there was a little bit of a, a turn and he got a fair bit of applause and a fair bit of cheering at that stage but John Terry on the other st- on the other hand his selective hearing involves hearing it all. He makes a conscious decision to hear all the abuse coming his way, takes it on, feeds off it, doesn't feeds he? off it, spits it back by means of angry, defiant celebration after the nil-nil draw. So there you go, selective hearing.
3: Well, Owen, I think actually, I disagree with you about Fabregas, really? because while Fabregas was booed by the Arsenal fans, particularly in the first half, well, it was notable in the first half because he was on the ball a bit more, um, not so much in the second half. Maybe they'd got tired of it. But when he was substituted, it was a few minutes before the end, uh, and he looked over, he saw it was him. Uh, and, and everyone in the stadium saw he was coming off as well, so they all go, like, "Boo, Fabregas, traitor!" You know, um, and but Fabregas just looked sad and dignified. And as he as he jogged towards the touchline, he raised his hands above his head and magnanimously applauded the Emirates Stadium. And what happened then, Owen? All the Arsenal fans around the stadium jumped on their chairs and started weeping and saying, my captain, my captain, and applauding, says Fabregas. And I don't know if they were singing his name, but it was clear to me, well, I thought, that, the, that by the time he crossed over that touchline, there was far more fans in the stadium applauding, uh, teary-eyed applause for Fabregas, Uh, their former darling than there were still bidding him it couldn't last
1: well congratulations Ken you could make it as a Chelsea player you Uh,
3: have the exact
1: quality that was your selective hearing there and that's what you decided whereas John
3: Terry was just like "Ah," you know (laughs) forming himself if he could have just (laughs) formed himself into an enormous uh, you know, gramophone-shaped, you know, that sort of sound horn thing, <laughs> uh, just to funnel in all of the abuse from all the corners, all the, the curves. You heard the take. boring,
1: boring Chelsea
3: show oh. ringing around
1: the ground at the end as he's just l- loving it, almost physically taking it on.
3: Yeah, he, was, on his abuse he was engorged, uh, <laughs> tumescent almost with uh, uh, with joy as, uh, as he celebrated that point. The, you know, a nil-nil, I mean, it's all from Mourinho's point of view. It's all about preserving that unbeaten record against Arsenal. Oh, it makes no. He difference. loves that. Yeah, it made he,
1: no difference whether they won or drew that game. A loss was the only negative result. He,
3: he treasures that unbeaten record against Wenger. I think as much as any trophy, uh, and and he'd managed to, to preserve that against the Arsenal team. who have won ten in a row. You know who are who are playing their best football in years, and they can't just can't find a way through. Uh, so I think they were entitled to celebrate. Big announcement before we get into
1: today's report on sport, and that is that for a week in May, these podcasts are going to be coming at you from the West Coast of America as we go to San Francisco to search out some amazing guests, soak up a bit of Major League Baseball, and finally, after 10 years of hearing his voice... We're going to get to see the face of US Murph, Ken. I I know what it looks like. I mean, we've seen him on Twitter. We've seen him elsewhere. But to actually go and talk to the guy, it's going to be great. Big thanks to Aer Lingus for flying us over on their Dublin to San Francisco route. You don't have to see anything differently yourself. Just put up with us as usual, listen through all the normal means. If you happen to live in that part of the world, though, or you're going to be visiting between the 15th and 22nd of May and you fancy coming to a show, just email us at secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. All details will be on secondcaptains.com. I know you're going to think a bit of convincing, Ken, to come along to a baseball game. I was surprised to hear this.
3: What I yeah. thought
1: you'd, you'd quite enjoy the idea of soaking up a match and enjoying the sunshine, and having a couple of beers.
3: Aren't they quite long though?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you don't have to go to the mall. It is one of those sports where people kind of come in, say two or three innings in.
3: Yeah. There's no contract. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand it though. I don't understand the baseball <laughs> the business. Um, I uh, no, I don't. I actually don't. I have no well, idea not many how, do. I'm how, not g- how it works. Oh well, I do know how it works, but
1: I'm not going to. I'm not going to lie, Ken. I don't regularly sit at home watching and baseball. I happened to watch a little bit last night uh, in in large part in preparation for this trip. I thought I would better get back in the zone here yeah. and see what it's all about. I watched a little bit of I watched our friend A rod Yeah. Hit a, hit a home run.
3: Really?
1: You know he's back with the Yankees this year.
3: I thought he was like 45 or Oh,
1: he's pretty old, but he's still uh, still hitting home runs there. So uh, yeah, he hit it was I think he is one behind. He might have hit another one by the time I went to bed. I don't know, but he was one behind the fourth on the list of all time home run hitters. But my point being that I don't regularly sit there and watch nine innings of Major League Baseball at home. But yeah. any am in America, I like to, at that time of year, can I like to take in a ball game, you know?
3: Yeah. Take me uh, out to the ball well, game. Well, I think, you know, it's a sort of, um, it's a... It's Listen, it's we're going to
1: bring you along. We're going to see what you think of it. The right? great
3: American pastime, is that baseball or yep. some other thing? Um, yeah, so probably should... It certainly
1: was it. baseball before it got you know, riddled with drugs and so forth. <laughs> but, uh, thinking about more the NFL now, but uh, there's no NFL on during the summer, so yeah. we'll, uh, we'll go with that. Now, Ken, you may get into your report on sport.
3: Well, I think we should we should talk a little bit more about Chelsea Owen. Um, According to Arsene Wenger, it's impossible that they can lose the league now. Mathematically, Chelsea were talking in mathematical. John Terry was there uh, talking in mathematical, using the word mathematical, using the word nullified. We nullified them. Uh, he loved that word. Um, it's not a word you often hear outside of footballing or mathematical context. But uh, it's one of John Terry's favorite words. And I saw that there was a lot of criticism of the way that Chelsea played. I, I honestly thought it was one of the best defensive displays I've seen. Uh, they followed every single thing that Arsenal did. Nothing escaped their uh, their attention. There, there was just no way through for Arsenal. It was actually brilliant. It was in its own way brilliant to watch. Um, at least for the for the little spell of the game where Arsenal were really uh, Arsenal were kind of matching the the intensity that Chelsea had because I think Arsenal got tired I think they just, they actually got worn out by it and they couldn't keep it up and from that point on it was just a little bit too easy for Chelsea
1: you know any time player Drogba or Costa, any of the big physical strikers play really well the description of them always is unplayable he was unplayable mm. in that form I've never heard that used for a defender. Was John Terry not unplayable yesterday? No matter what was thrown at him, he wasn't going to budge, he wasn't going to give anything away?
3: Yeah, well c- well, certainly, I mean the only way that Arsenal were going to get through that, I thought, was Alexis Sanchez is going to have to go past three men here. It's difficult to do, do that. In the first part of the game, the first few minutes of the game, it looks as though maybe Sanchez is in the sort of mood where he might be able to, to do that. There's no other way of, of getting the space, really, that Chelsea are just organised too well maybe something could take a lucky bounce and fly in, wrong-footing the goalkeeper, but buying that, you're not going to score. Um, and, you know, I think I think Terry was... I mean, it's hard to say, unplayable. But in the way that Chelsea had set up, uh, you know, it's not as though so Chelsea... It's not as though like John Terry is one of only two Chelsea players in his own half. You know, regardless of how well he... how, how great he feels on the day, he's probably going to concede a couple of goals if that's the set-up. But if he's there... Uh, kind of patrolling his own penalty area and he's got his team around him um, very very difficult to get past yeah. this guy certainly too much for Olivier Giroud um, who you know I hesitate to say he was found out because you know you're up against high quality opposition there. but he proved that he's not of that calibre he's good enough against most of the teams in the league but he's not good enough when it comes to the decisive game against the best defence He's not gonna do it for you. It's
1: been getting written up quite a lot. He's never scored
3: against Chelsea. Never. Right.
1: You think that's a litmus test, as they say?
3: Well, don't ask me, I ask Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry, who's the cat's beginning to show its claws. (laughs) Now we were talking about Thierry Henry last week. There's a couple of different ways to be controversial as a pundit. The traditional way is to say something that you know is gonna annoy some people. Your controversial remark. Here's my controversial view. (laughs) Um Hold on to your hat. The other way is to say something that you don't realize will annoy lots of people. But then afterwards, you, when you leave the studio, you realize, oh, hang on, that seems to have annoyed some people. I would put Thierry Henry's comments about Hernandez into that category. I don't think he even realized that he was saying something controversial. But in fact, it prompted an, almost a global outrage. Wherever Sky Sports is shown, people were angry with Thierry Henry for what he said about uh, about uh, Javier Hernandez. And so Henri had to, uh, he, for the first time, he experienced what it's like to be the the unpopular voice, the, unpop- the, the unpopular man, the bad news bearer in the room, <laughs> and which is not a role he's ever seemed to have sought. But it seems as though he's got a bit of a taste for it now. Because after the game uh, against Arsenal, or against Chelsea rather, uh, I say Arsenal you know, as though he was, you know, he says he's an Arsenal fan in fairness, I mean, it's not as though he's got anything... You know, really, to do with the club at the moment, besides his legendary status, but he, he had a few things to say about uh, about Arsenal. Anyway, they need to buy four players. He said. So he said, you know, this is Henri talking. We're not talking. This is not Robbie Savage, right? On Robbie Savage, who who Arsenal need to rip it all up and start again. You know, uh they venger needs to spend. It's not Robbie Savage. It's Thierry Henri, who worked with Arsenal Wenger for so many years. They need that spine. They need a goalkeeper, centre back, holding midfielder, and and I'm afraid. They need a top, top quality striker in order to win this league again. Uh, that's not Olivier Giroud, in case uh, you're thinking. Uh, look at Chelsea. They, uh, you know, last, they struggled last year. They now have Courtois, Madich, Cesc, Diego Costa. For me, this speaks volumes. A team didn't and a team did. Chelsea are about to win the league. Players need to perform too. I will single out Mesut Ozil, who made his eighth appearance against the top four team today. Zero goals, two assists. That's not good enough since joining Arsenal he's got 14 assists look at Fabregas at Chelsea he has 16 assists so pff, pff, Ozil not good enough Giroud not good enough Koscielny or Murderzacker, take your pick Ospina he can go and uh, also we need a central midfielder so uh, Freddie scathing criticism I would oh, say from is, Thierry, Thierry Henry but sensible yeah I I've, I've, it's, it's hard to disagree with, with much of what he's saying um, and, and hopefully we'll get to see a good bit more of this from Thierry Henry as he's realised that Actually, saying something is sometimes people quite like to hear somebody actually saying what they think as opposed to somebody sitting there and kind of evading everything and not saying anything for fear of, you know, trampling on, you know, for fear of annoying somebody. Sometimes it's better if you do annoy somebody. I uh, needed that. But anyway, is he going to go full controversial? You think start comparing people to Mother Teresa and tramps?
1: Wasn't one footballer compared to a tramp once well, by a certain prominent football opponent.
3: So I don't know if, if he goes that a fat clown for all to see. Fat clown. Uh, snipes Thierry Henry from the from from the uh, press box. No, I, I don't know, but he's only he's very new in the game, isn't he? You know, unless he's, I mean, if he, he's making a good living, the boy, Henry. I mean, for four four or five million quid a year, apparently. You know, Jimmy Kimmel money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel is making the same type of money. So if he wants to continue earning at that level, maybe he will see that this is this is actually a good way to do it. Um, just that, I mean, he, he was he was maybe annoying some people with those comments, but well, I imagine Mr finger didn't like them. Um, but uh, Jose Mourinho was obviously annoying everybody, first of all, with the way the team played, secondly, with his comments afterwards. Uh, I mean, the Ch- Chelsea in general just utter contempt for the complaints, the the squeals of Arsenal and their supporters. Um, Tippy-tappy football is great, uh, but you're not going to win the league with it, Mm -hmm. says John Terry. (laughs) Possession and tippy-tappy football. So that's what he thinks of that. Um, uh, Mourinho uh, was asked to address the fact that uh, they said, you can hear the fans think your team is boring. And he said, "Uh, boring, I think it's 10 years without a title. That's very boring. You support a club, you're waiting, waiting, waiting for so many years, waiting for a Premier League title. That's very boring. But maybe they aren't saying it us. Maybe when you're the home side and you want to win a game, but you take your number nine off with six minutes to go, maybe the home fans want to see Welbeck and Giroud play together. So, um, that may be... Uh, the boring team, our second-highest scorers in the Premier League, and the team with the best go- uh, goal difference. I wonder if it's you're going to get to a point where... He does still sound a little bit like his hackles are a little bit up at this criticism, like as though he should be trying to, he should be trying to sort of say, well, actually, no, we're not boring. For instance, we scored second highest number of goals in the league. You know, we've let in for a few goals as well. You know, we're going to win the league. Uh, we're winning trophies. That's not how can you say that's boring? You know, a little bit defensive. When is he just going to embrace it and say, yeah, we were boring, and we're going to win the league? And what are you going to do about it? I'd say just... What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Nobody can do anything about it at the moment, which is why they're going to win. It's not because they're boring. It's because they're better than all the other teams. The other teams have not been very good uh, this season, you do have to say. Manchester City again. By the way, Jack Grealish, did you see his uh, performance against Man City? Uh,
1: I did, yeah, I didn't see the entire game Nothing right. I saw the highlights.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, he was he was pretty good again. Owen. Oh, pretty good again. I would have said it was ended up three two to City after Villa had come back from 2-0 then to two all. City then scored a late, uh, a late and fairly lucky winner. How are his legs looking? Uh, extremely muscly.
1: Definitely are muscly.
3: It's definitely some
1: sort of optical illusion I suffer from.
3: Anyway, we move on. Um, his calves look like they're about the size of his head. You know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, lo- he, he he was looking in tip-top condition. A couple of pieces in the Sunday papers yesterday, Paul Rowan and Dion Fanning both reporting that Martin O'Neill only went to see him one time when he was uh, Away to his Brentford loan. or something like this. Away to uh, Brentford when he... Um, uh, when he Came, half, on the second, so. came on in the second half, so but didn't, didn't do much. Um, anyway, no, no real uh, developments on that story, uh, which I'm sure we're going to be following over the over the next. Yeah, the big while.
1: point. I think both of the both, uh, both Dion and Paul Rowan made the point that if he had been brought on the tour to the US, that so that was the that wouldn't have tied him down. He presumably would have been happy enough to come on that because it wasn't going to tie him down internationally. They are only friendly games, but it certainly would have made it just human nature is okay I'm, I'm part of this group now these guys are nice
3: guys yeah it's going to be a bit awkward to yeah, you know all my friends from America to mm-hmm. uh, tell them that I'm I'm, uh, I'm switching in a reunion sides. you know if
1: you're having a reunion 10 years later from yeah. that famous US Cup trip from 2015 uh, we could
3: have got our claws into him at that point alright but we seem to let him slip through our fingers on that occasion what else we got you um, got? I mean I mentioned the other big teams had not played so well and uh, one of those is Manchester United they lost two in a row now Um so they're little period of good form Kieran Murphy was here earlier saying that in his opinion the reliance of Liverpool and Luis Suarez last season is perhaps equaled only by the reliance of Manchester United and Michael Carrick who again was absent as uh, they were overrun by Everton James McCarthy scoring giving the lie to my um, lazy uh, badly informed ignorant criticism of him suggesting that really all he uh, has been doing is sort of sitting Sitting, not shooting, not looking for goals. Scored a good goal. He gave himself no choice,
1: really. He got himself into the position, which was great. By the time he had that last touch, that penultimate touch, I should probably say, which flicked off uh, one of the Liverpool defenders... There was just no choice but to follow the shot, follow the ball on and knock it in Sticking at the angle in. he did. He nearly gave himself no choice but to bomb on and score that goal. I liked it. It's
3: a great finish, actually. This, really is the, good. this is
1: the personality that people, that all these managers talk about, they want to see from McCarthy.
3: So hopefully he'll get addicted to that feeling and uh, and occasionally burst into the box because he can, as he shall, do a bit of damage. Stones then scored a header and then a ridiculous third goal where the whole Manchester United defence... Uh, stopped because they thought Lukaku was offside and then the ball just ran through to Morales who wasn't offside and uh, who scored a very simple goal uh, I felt a little bit sorry for Manchester United on that one actually because it did I mean it, it was clearly going to the Kaku, and he just he's almost left it because he's like oh I'm offside and then everybody was standing there and Morales was the only one who's, who kept running um, Seems like one that was okay according to the letter of the law, but I'm, I think the spirit of the law maybe wasn't. Anyway, 3 0 to Everton. And Van Hal saying afterwards, the warm up was no good. I had a feeling. The last minutes before the game, you hope you can recover and stimulate your players, but it's too late. So he's. Um, it, seems, it seems as though they were off. Uh, from the very start.
1: Yeah, that's a strange one, isn't it?
3: This is the first match the other team have shown more fighting spirit than us. Our motivation, inspiration and aggression wasn't as high as the opponent. When you see the first goal, three duels in a row, we lost. That's an example. I hope it shall I hope it shall not happen again but as a coach, I know it shall happen again. So Van Hal promises more weak as water uh, displays for Manchester United who um, might be feeling a little nervous about their position were it not for the fact that the teams behind them uh, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Southampton, just are, none of them are, are in winning form either. So it looks like you know they're going to hang on. Yeah, it's all
1: limping to this Premier League season at that side of the table, anyway, is just limping towards a conclusion.
3: Yes. Um, so we might as well talk about a bit of politics zone. Mm-hmm. It, it is election season, more interesting at this point than the Premier League season. Um, and uh, Saul Campbell gave an interview to the Observer where he. Uh, talked about his own political views. Obviously a Tory. Our most footballer stories, ha-ha, probably, says uh, Saul Campbell, whose personal wealth is estimated at 34 million pounds. Now, um, he's angry about the mansion tax. Mansion tax being a ta- proper tax on, you know, big houses, high-value homes, mansions. let's say. Mansions. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're not all mansions, zone. Uh, some of them are are a humble four to five bedroom Hampstead townhouses (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) we're not we're not necessarily talking Downton Abbey here you know but uh, just London property prices have have gone in such a way that uh, oh unfortunately a lot of really rich footballers are are in the frame to pay some fat taxes on their massive uh, property empires Saul Campbell to the fore Simon Hattonstone uh, writes Campbell has a number of homes one of which was put in the market last October for 25 million pounds Surely he can afford to pay out a few grand tax for that. To which Saul Campbell says, it's not going to be two or three grand, let me tell you that. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 20 to 30,000. <laughs> uh, to which Simon Hanson says, well, you can afford it, right? He goes, no, I'm not in the same money. I was on a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. I've paid all my taxes up to here. I've been prudent. Why should you re- retrospectively say, you guys have done well. I want a piece of that. Why? Why? Uh, so... Uh, it'll cost four hundred million to collate all the prices up and down the country. Who's got to make money out of that? Lawyers, surveyors, accountants. And what if there's a property crash? Another four hundred million to reevaluate everything. It's nuts. It's stupid. It's absurd. If there is a property crash, I suppose at least he wouldn't have to pay as much tax on the <laughs> uh, vast property empire that he's managed to uh, assemble. He does talk about how he became a uh, a Tory. Essentially, he um, he he says he's not he's not the kind of guy who's looking for a handout. He's he's a self starter. He's a kind of a, um, a bootstrap individual who's, you know, who's pulled himself up by his own, by his own bootstraps, and he he doesn't um, he doesn't feel as though other people should have to take a slice of his success.
1: Is it really retrospective? He says, "Oh, uh, retrospectively, now they want a piece of it." Uh, I guess, well, by definition, maybe it is because it's only after you've made the big money mm. that the tax man is going to take big chunks of it.
3: What do you saying? I paid for this house. I paid all my bloody taxes and now you want to bring in a new tax just because I'm a really rich guy and you want to tax me just because I'm, I'm rich? <laughs> Where am I supposed to get the cash to pay um, the taxes on my vast property empire? I mean, I suppose if your property empire is too big for you to afford, you always sell a bit of it. Pay some of your 20, 30 grand taxes that way. And That's one way of possibly doing it. But he, the other thing that Campbell says is that he wants to... Uh, he, his, his main political priority, in addition to uh, scrapping this or, or preventing this unfair tax, is to reduce inequality, which strikes me as a somewhat contradictory goal, uh, given that he's A, in favour of uh, the super rich people keeping all their money mm-hmm. and not redistributing any of that. But he also wants to, uh, I think Sol Campbell, what Sol Kamala is saying is that everybody should live in a tax-free mansion. And, uh, and really, who can disagree with that? Well, um, what a
1: wonderful... You, David, huh?
3: Yeah, well, there's a couple of other things we should mention, Owen, um, which is that in Australia, there's this, a soccer reporter who's who's uh, in a spot of bother over there. For... Um,
1: is this, we're, we're sick with politics here?
3: The politics, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's a soccer reporter, so that's why we're talking about it. Scott McIntyre, SBS sports journalist. Now, SBS, I don't know, a special broadcasting service, apparently. I don't know if it's a, if it's a cousin organization to the SAS. Um, But they certainly seem to have a similar kind of militaristic ethos because uh, they've sacked Scott McIntyre, a respected soccer journalist, for uh, tweeting some stuff about Gallipoli. Um, You know, this is kind of going on at the moment, um, uh, this 100th year, the the 100th anniversary of the landings at Gallipoli. And if you go to the Aviva Stadium, actually, you'll see um, some displays there at the moment. Um, For, you know, the Lansdowne Pals Battalion or whatever, you know, you see all these. There's a photo just outside the press entrance at Lansdowne Road of all the uh, Lansdowne uh, Rugby Club members who answered the call to join up and go off to uh, fight in the First World War. In these Pals Battalions, this brilliant idea that that, uh, Kitchener had, um, whereupon... All the men of the village would join up together into a pals battalion, so that when the day came for them to go over the top, they could all be killed together. Sometimes even by the same shell. Uh, and so then everybody back home in the village would uh, would uh, would be very uh, very sad about it. They, they realized after a while, actually, you know what? The pals battalion isn't such a good idea. We should mix the men up a little. Yeah. Let's mix them up a bit. Anyway, um, uh, around this time, a hundred years ago. Australian and New Zealand, and plenty of Irish troops as well, were storming the beaches at uh, Gallipoli in in an attempt to uh, win the war by uh, unexpected means. And uh, Scott McIntyre uh, has this uh, former journalist, I should say, of SPS. The cultivation of an imperialist invasion of a foreign nation that Australia had no quarrel with is against all ideals of modern society. I wonder if the poorly read, largely white nationalist drinkers and gamblers pause today to consider the horror that all mankind suffered, remembering the summary execution, widespread rape and theft committed by these brave Anzacs in Egypt, Palestine and Japan. And then makes a couple of references to the biggest terrorist attack in history, the... Uh, As he describes it, the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and this, his tweets um, went a little bit viral. I don't know if it was before or after he was sacked. There's big numbers on them now. But one of the government uh, minister uh, in Australia, Malcolm Turnbull, immediately tweeted to um, SPS. Oh, difficult to think of more offensive or inappropriate comments, and uh, they immediately sacked him. Right. Uh, He then said. Well, you know, he he hasn't actually said anything that I'm aware of. But the the minister who appeared to uh, go make it his business to get rid of him um, said, "Well, actually, if you look at the uh, social media guidelines of SPS, he's breached a number of their provisions. And uh, if you look at those guidelines, <laughs> they're vague enough, really. That <laughs> they're vague you, you enough.
1: Could, you could catch a lot of people in that web if you so wished.
3: I think essentially those those guidelines are designed so that if they do want to sack you for something that you've written on social media. <laughs> you can be found to have breached a provision or two, uh, so so there you go. And, uh, just you better watch out what you say about the army if you're a sports journalist in Australia. That's the end of Kennedy's report on sport. You can see the level of
2: expectancy from here huh? coach. This is the game you wanted, a Victory Boy. Didn't have a weapon.
3: Oh. Uh. Pepe's such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time.
0: Where did you? Where do you think you got it all wrong today?
3: And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. The <laughs>
2: name I saying, say, take that penalty." He was fucking dreadful. Sorry, huh? we're not here. Oh, we're
3: not yeah. oh. we well, are. I apologise for that, but obviously, he <laughs> didn't exactly
1: it. All right. Tony Barrett of the Times is was at Goodison Park. He's already talked to, to us about James McCarthy. First of all, Tony and his brilliant goal. We chatted about a little bit earlier on. Is this a, a glimpse into a future for James McCarthy as a marauding goal-scoring midfielder, or just a bit of a blip?
0: It, it shouldn't be a blip. I, I've I've liked McCarthy ever since he, he was at Wigan, and uh, I got a lot of stick on Twitter when when Everton signed James McCarthy and, and so Marilyn Fellaini and, and said that McCarthy would go on to be a better player, uh, and I, I think you can see that quality in him. I think he can perform number of roles. I, I think in the system that Everton has had, he's allowed himself to come too restricted, and he's, it's it all became a little bit too easy for me. He had that role of sitting in front of the defence and do not not much more than going through the motions for me he was uh, breaking up play and doing it really well but but you just looked at him every week and thought there was more to come Uh, I think Martin was slow to recognise that and he's he's now asked him to play a little bit higher up the pitch when he can and and you're seeing the the, the benefits of that and for me the the other big thing is he looks fitter Uh, there was a spell where I thought he looked a little bit heavy and Martin has alluded to that in his press conference uh, last week when he was asked about McCarthy and his form, and, and he, said, he said the big difference now is, is his fitness, that uh, Everton have got his recovery right. and he, I think it was four times he mentioned getting his nutrition right, which suggested to me either Everton were given the wrong things to eat or James McCarthy was eating the wrong things, but either way, you can see the difference now. He does look fitter, he looks more mobile, and he is able to get up and down the pitch, which if he is going to play more advanced, if he is going to get up and down more often he has to be fit and, and and you can see that it you can see
3: that now i think maybe that improvement is uh, you can see across the entire everton team actually because this is this is the sort of everton that we thought we'd probably be seeing all season um, but when you look at the recent record they've won five out of their last six in the league uh, drawn the other uh, and it seems as though after a really awful kind of start to the season it's it's sort of fallen into place sometimes. This is
1: what used to happen in the David Moyes times <laughs> when all this fitness would supposedly stand to them in the second half of the
3: season What do you think, no, is, going, it, what do you think is going on there Tony? I don't know I, 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 I don't think
0: you can understate, understate Europe I mean Martin has said at the start of the season that Europe would have no effect uh, but clearly it did uh, and it's just you, you've got to look at the, the age of Everton squad they do have quite a lot of players who are 20, 29, 30 and older uh, and when you've got that many players of that age and you're playing a lot of games, Gareth Barry would be the, the the key example. Barry's played more games than he would have wanted to. Uh, because uh Darren Gibson and James McCarthy have had their injury problems. and Gareth Barry hasn't made to cope with that workload and I, I think that applies to quite a few members of the team. Uh, and they are they have been pretty one dimensional in, in an attacking sense. Uh the players revolved around Lukaku and I think Martin has got it wrong quite a lot this season in, in where he's played Ross Barkley. He messed Barkley about. He, he played him once central midfield, but mainly attacking from wide on the left. Uh, and since he's got Barkley back central and, and Stephen Naismith has played less, I think Everton have looked a lot more fluent. And, and that, was, that was the key yesterday, that everything about their play uh, went through Stones, McCarthy, Barkley. And when that happens, Everton do look a good side.
3: I mean... The Europa League thing is a, is, a, is kind of becoming a real millstone for English clubs. I mean, I don't know if there's any other country in Europe where it's spoken about almost as like a curse that your team, that your club has to labour under until they got knocked out for the season. Roberto Martinez seems to have a slightly different attitude towards it this season. Uh, and I've heard people suggest that, in fact, he was targeting it specifically as, you know, having looked at the, the league table and thought, well, we're not going to get into the Champions League that way, but we might actually win this competition uh, the Europa League is that actually the case did Martinez uh, do that was he taking it more seriously and if so is that the right thing for someone in his position to do or, or actually in hindsight a mistake
0: I'm, I'm not sure I'm sure he did the, the Everton's Euro, Europa League campaign was strange it was they managed to get uh, quite some way the competition and there was times when they played particularly well but there were other occasions if you look at both games against Wolfsburg home and away they, they won both emphatically I think it was 4-1 home and 3-1 away but in both that games, they've conceded an unbelievable amount of chances and, and Wolfsburg just haven't taken them. Uh, and I think, I think what we've seen of Wolfsburg since, obviously against Napoli, uh, they are a team that are wide open there to be got at. So I thought Everton's know League campaign flattered to somewhat, somewhat. In the Premier League, Everton weren't getting away with the same kind of mistakes that they were getting away with in Europe. Uh, any any kind of mistake that Everton were making in the Premier League was being punished. And I think they, they're the team that's conceded the most goals and the most most... Uh, from their own mistakes in the Premier League this year, so I, I just thought that those people took the wrong impression from from what was happening in Europe. And Everton were, were never as bad as they looked in in this country, and they were never as good as, as results appear in the Europa League. And we're probably getting to about where they where they are now. They, this kind of form is is Everton at the best, and and when they play like this, they are they are a match for anyone. They can give any team team a game. The problem is that I think the squads a bit thin in the in the transfer market last summer they put far too many eggs in in, in Lukaku's basket and as a result they didn't strengthen some of the areas that, that needed and probably just as age. And, and, and that's why this summer's going to be a massive one for
1: them uh, Shocking performance from Manchester United and uh, Louis van Gaal said something interesting afterwards Tony I had the feeling the warm-up was not so good in the last five minutes or in the last minutes before the game you hope you can recover and stimulate your players but then it's too late you have to prepare the match already two or three days before Everton have done that and they have won because of that. I don't know if you noticed Manchester United's warm-up being particularly off? No, I didn't.
0: I didn't, but, I mean, as as an ex-Sunday League player who, who was used to the shout of get out of bed, uh, ten minutes after the game when people just knew players weren't on it there are games that, that players just don't get on it and sometimes there's no reason for that I mean Van Gaal will look for, into the sports science he'll look at training the days before to try and see what went wrong but sometimes there's just games when players just, it just doesn't happen for them and that happened to United sort of from the very first whistle yesterday and if you looked at the the goal the first goal you can see that that was how not to defend the counter-attack from the minute that Mata crosses and Gareth Barry held the ball, United get one touch. and It, it, it was a touch that didn't matter. McNair Mach, got a little touch on Seamus Coleman's attempted at through ball. And they just looked lethargic and like they were off the game. And, and Everton had all this energy that they couldn't handle. So I, I don't know whether it was in the warm-up. and this, this may be Van Gaal trying to tell his players, you are better than this, because they've got some big games coming up. Uh, and just trying to get them back on the game. But if they do repeat that kind of performance, you, you would wonder uh, whether they have necessarily got four place sewn up. They should have, uh, and, and you couldn't see Liverpool in their form making up any kind of deficit. But but if United carry on that kind of form, they could have problems.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, if Liverpool had had not just had a terrible nil-nil draw, they would be in a position where they could potentially be actually in front of Manchester United. Uh, by the next time they take the field. But, of course, they kind of squandered that opportunity. Uh, They have to make up one of those games or their game in hand tomorrow, Tony. So Brendan Rodgers has done a press conference today, which I think you've been at. And the only thing I've seen out of it so far uh, is some uh, comments to the fact that maybe Daniel Surge isn't going to play again this season. The the more Brendan Rodgers talks about Daniel Surge, the more strained that relationship is beginning to sound Uh, because every time he talks about these injuries that are affecting Surridge... It almost sounds as though he's quite puzzled as to what they might actually be.
0: Yeah, there's there's long been a school of thought that maybe Daniel Sturridge doesn't get himself out onto the pitch, as other players would do, that he's one who has to be absolutely 100%, and and the chances of modern footballer being 100% before any game are very slim. Uh, Last season, he was in a dressing room with Luis Suarez, who would get out on the pitch, no matter what the injury, I mean, the thing with Suarez was, when he did his knee for Uruguay, I think it took him two weeks to, to recover from an injury that kept him out for seven or eight, and that was what he was like in the Liverpool dressing room. It didn't matter what kind of knock he had. He got out there and played. I and mean, when you're in the dressing room with a type of player like that. If you've got a strain or an ache, you can't really put your hand up and say, I, I need to miss this game. So so has played more often last year than is the norm. Uh, and now Suarez is gone. He's, he's sort of back to being injured a lot, and People will read things into that, 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 that's inevitable. I think from Brendan Rodgers' point of view, I I understand them on this. I I think it's it's legitimate that he asks questions of Danny Sturridge, that he also says that he can't rely on him. I think the thing from Liverpool's point of view is that they gave Danny Sturridge a five-year contract and made him the second-highest paid player behind Stephen Gerrard. Obviously, Suarez was there then, but now gone. Uh, and three weeks later they did an injury order to find out why he was getting some injuries so so th- th- there needs to be questions about that about why Liverpool gave him such a long term contract given that they already had concerns about his, his physicality but Liverpool do need at least one if not two uh, top class forwards in the summer because it is clear they can't rely on Sturridge
1: Tony brilliant stuff thanks minion.
0: cheers good speech to you Jeff. Let's
1: well, turn into a bit of a sports science type chat Ken. we've got Daniel Sturridge and his maybe his failure to utilise sports science to the fullest or maybe just not quite having the mental capacity to get back from convince himself that he is back from injury Manchester United having their bad warm-up for whatever reason and I didn't realise this James McCarthy nutrition issue Hmm. mentioned four times by Roberto Martinez in one press conference earlier on this season as Tony said there he's a he's not as he's certainly not as I described Jack Reedish last weekend Hmm. Uh, what was it? Well, essentially a scrawny, scrawny scrawny-legged, skinny fella. No. Uh, Neither is Grealish, as it turns out. But certainly James McCarthy isn't. He's a guy, he's a big, powerful-enough-looking dude. I didn't realise that he had been carrying any extra weight or had any nutrition problems. But if he did, it's
3: good to hear that they're behind him. Yeah, he did. Look, I mean, you can't do what he did to score that goal um, if you're unfit. Uh, Running almost at full pace while uh, stooped over... Uh, (laughs) Is not an easy thing to to carry off, especially when Manchester United players are trying to tackle you, even if they haven't warmed up very well, and uh, and seem to be a bit off the pace. Sounds
1: like Tony thinks that they're that he can do a little bit more, that he can give a little bit more. I, it strikes me that if he hasn't done it up to now, I don't see why he would. It seems like Martinez is happy with him playing as a shield in front of the back four. So, and a, f- a footballer of pretty good ability oftentimes will be happy enough to maybe not extend himself too much and, and just play within that ability, which is what he seems to be doing. Well I think we It's like the opposite of Thomas Mutter. Remember you talked about Thomas Mutter last week. Mm. Sometimes hitting shots that are actually above what people would perceive his skill level to be, but just choosing the right
3: times to do it. To do that, yeah. I mean he you know he he's very sensible. He's very rational, McCarthy. And I think we like our football players when I say we own, I mean Irish people and I think English people probably as well, like our footballers actually to be a little bit more irrational, like them to try to do crazy things because it's more entertaining and sometimes more spectacular. Uh, I mean, I think McCarthy has had some interesting, I mean, the main influence on his career has obviously been Roberto Martinez and that's an interesting, uh, it, I mean, he, since, he's eight, since he's 18 years old, he's had this highly technical, highly tactical Spanish coach uh kind of guiding the development of his game you know with both his clubs and i think his game really bears the imprint of that you know he's not like a typical irish or scottish uh, midfielder uh, in any in any way he's much more of, of a controlled like a deep Marhaman type player you know this is my job i know <laughs> i know that the people in the stadium don't maybe sometimes don't understand exactly what it is i'm doing here but this is a really important job to make the team play better and i'm going to do that Um, usually you like to see guys run into the box a bit more and scoring a goal I
1: like him doing that job again just maybe twice a game make those marauding runs and see what happens take a chance
3: yeah well he's kept up his goal one goal a season um, strike rate for everything so far so that's uh, it's all good
1: Edin Hazard was named PFA Player of the Year last night not too surprisingly Christophe Terror is a Belgian football journalist working in the UK and Christophe Hazard is a guy who we've heard many times is almost free of ego compared to a lot of top-level sports people. That said, will he be delighted to win an individual award like this, do you think?
2: Well, well, he would like it. When he was a kid, he always said, I want to win the Ballon d'Or once. <laughs> prize saw so the best player in Europe. So, he still, uh, he still likes recognition. All players have a bit of an ego. But as he always tells in interviews and already told me a few months ago, he told me, I don't want to tell my kids how many individual awards I've won or how many money I have on my bank account. I want to tell them I became so many times champions with that team. I won so, much, uh, so many European Cups. So he still has a bit of collective... him,
3: so... Yeah, it sounds sounds like the kind of thing Jose Mourinho um, would be uh, telling him to say. Um, I mean, his relationship with Mourinho is interesting to us because Mourinho hasn't always been a good coach for players like Hazard, sort of talented attackers who know how to dribble and so on. A lot of them have have become a little bit um, dull under Jose Mourinho. It doesn't seem to have happened to Hazard. They seem to work quite well together.
2: Well, uh... I know yeah, last last year Jose was quite hard for him, also sometimes publicly. I don't know if you remind uh the the moment when he uh when he lost his passport, missed the training session and was uh in the stands against Schalke. And there was the spat after Atletico Madrid when Jose said he wasn't ready to give his life uh for for his left back. I know Hazard doesn't like those kind of public spats. He doesn't like it, but in a way, he has always been very respectful to Mourinho. He's the guy who listens to his manager, whatever his manager tells him. He he knows Mourinho has won so many prizes in his career, and he feels Mourinho can win him prizes too. And then he's even uh, even prepared to. uh to, uh, to give away a bit of his qualities in the attacking sense, changing into changing it into this defensive. But he doesn't care as long as he can win prizes with a manager. He he, he listens to him, so he's he's not a difficult guy to work with. Uh, always former managers, always. So even is one of the easiest players to work with because he listens. He's educated by his parents to listen elder people who have more
3: experience than him. He, I mean, his value to Chelsea is really clear. I mean, he's by far the most important attacking player. But in what ways do you think Chelsea have helped to improve him? In what ways is he a better footballer than he was two or three years ago?
2: Well, I think he's more hungry. That's what I was lacking, for instance, at the World Cup. He wasn't hungry enough for goals, that he wasn't... Going for glory, I think Mourinho has brought him a little bit more of that ego he was lacking. That he become more, uh, he's, he plays with lots and more hunger. He, he has become a killer, but he has to become more ruthless. But in that way, he has he has developed. He has uh, he also developed his defensive skills, which <laughs> weren't there at all before he came to England. But besides that, I see he's more hungry more. uh, He wants it more. Before, football was pure entertainment for him. Just pleasure. He wanted to entertain people. But now, his penny dropped and he knows it's not all about entertainment. I have to win prizes if I want to be recognized by others, if I want to become one of the best players in the world.
1: Zinedine Zidane was one of the best players of the world, possibly the best player at one stage. He's one of the power, powerful men now at Real Madrid and he's uh, getting up the managerial ladder there too. He's been talking about Hazard recently in very um, very glowing terms. Do you think if that was a, an interest that came from Real Madrid, if that became concrete, would that turn the head of Eden Hazard in the next year or so? Uh,
2: no, no, because Zinedine Zidane is already seen that for at least five or six years. He's a huge admirer of Hazard in a way, but I say th- i even is really happy in London, enjoys life. his family is happy over there, so I don't see him moving next year to Real Madrid. I know he was as a child he was a huge fan of sedam it, it was his idol, and he was a fan of Real because Sidam played at Real Madrid when he was a when he was third but uh. I only think that it would become dangerous when Sidon, Sidon becomes the manager of uh, wow. AL Madrid and maybe he could tempt him to join Eyal uh, but it's not for this year. I also think it's not for next year but maybe a bit later in his career All right, when he has won something with, with, with Chelsea. So.
1: Yeah, well, it looks like he might win a couple of things at Chelsea. Christoph Terror, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Okay. Yeah, I, I think he could just go back to... Your question there about Hazard, which is a fair one, in that Mourinho has made life quite difficult for some of his more creative players over the years. Damien Duff being an example, it could be argued that he was very good for Aryan Robin. Maybe Robin didn't see that at the time, but he certainly the Robin, the second half of in the second half of his career is a lot physically and mentally more durable than the one who arrived at Chelsea. So no, I don't you, think I wouldn't think Jose so? Mourinho for that?
3: No, not at all. No. Um I mean Mourinho uh there was, there was obviously fostered that, that cult of physical um uh what's the word? Not masochism. durability. Def definitely that was a, that was a big thing for these Chelsea players. And Robin as someone who would constantly get injured or complain about feeling injured, quickly became this kind of, you know, ludicrous figure, I think in the eyes of some of them. And that's why when they sold him eventually to Real Madrid, even though he had been brilliant for them at times when he played, I mean, really brilliant, um, none of them were particularly bothered. They didn't think, oh, well, you know, he's not much of a loss. And he's gone on to show that he's been he, you know, he's been one of the best players in Europe throughout his career. And the player that he is now, I don't think owes anything to Mourinho. When he's talked about it before, he has said, well, Mourinho did help me because um, he essentially showed me that in life, you don't get everything your own way. Sometimes life is going to try to break your heart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: that there's an argument there. That toughened him up, though.
3: Yeah, but, I mean, Mourinho toughened him up by by excluding him and, and uh, you know, making life miserable for him. And I suppose taught him that in life there's going to be guys who come along and make you miserable. Well, why and do you think you Hazard... Gotta fight back, you got to fight back against those guys. Why
1: do you think Hazard is working out so well, then?
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, it's... I think... It, when you, when you look at the the Chelsea team, Oscar, I don't think, has done well under Mourinho. Uh, I mean, he's, he's scrapping away. He was the player with the most tackles at the World Cup, I think, Oscar. You know, he's this tiny little guy. Well, it's a tiny build. But he's scrapping away. He's so tenacious, always sticking his boot in. That's not why they bought him. <laughs> That's not the player they bought him to be, um, William. Wandering the pitch, concussed. William is afraid. Well, wandering around the pitch, concussed. That was. I mean, Mourinho said after his, "Oh, I was scared. Well, we're scared. We're scared. We're a little scared about his condition." You let him play
1: for half an <laughs> hour. <straight away. laughs> played him for <laughs> half an hour. I found the match of the day too. Coverage bizarre in it last night. They, the, they only mentioned that incident in the post-match analysis in the context of all the penalty appeals that there were, and they had a vehement argument about whether or not these were all penalties. Shearer and Robbie Savage. Uh, and then later in the too good, too bad section when they show the quirky things that have happened over the course of the weekend, they thought it was hilarious about that the internet has reacted in its own inimitable way to the collision between the goalkeeper and Oscar and they showed these very unfunny memes mm. and you could hear them chuckling away at it. So not the most sensible conversation about concussion in, mm. in sport, I think football might still be a ways behind, but... So I've digressed here, Ken, because you were getting to your point about Hazard. Well, basically, I think it.
3: I think that uh, he plays really well with Costa and with Fabregas. He's obviously got good understanding with those two guys. The role in the team actually suits him very well. I mean, you can, we're, we're talking about Mourinho having a generally a kind of a repressive effect on attacking players because he's constantly drumming into them the need to be defensively responsible. And a player who's thinking all the time about defensive responsibility is... Uh, it's a bit like Aiden McGeady in a Giovanni Trapattoni team. Oh no, I've got to be covering my fullback all the time. It it drains a lot of attacking players. It drains them physically and mentally. It, it stops them being at their best. It's not so Hazard always has been. Um, I mean, Christoph mentioned the Atletico Madrid thing. A, a gross dereliction of duty by Hazard, just abandoning his man and letting Atletico Madrid in to score, standing there watching it. I, you know, I was almost. It's almost surprising that he managed to recover from that. Yeah. In the eyes of Mourinho, Mourinho does not forgive. Incidents like that, but in Hazard's case, he's physically really fit at the moment. He's able for he's, he's got amazing energy. He's played, he started every game for Chelsea in the, in the league. Um, so physically, mentally tough, got incredible ability playing a team that's set up for him. Uh, it's working out well for him.
1: Before we go, quick reminder we're going to be in San Francisco next month. A week of Irish Times Second Captains podcast coming your way if you're in the area. Get in touch with us, captains at irishtimes.com. You can check out all the details on the trip. We're going to have We're greatly looking forward to com. I've had a look at the fixture list, Ken Yeah San Francisco 49ers Have a home series Against the their hated rivals The LA Dodgers Really? Yeah, these guys oh, I thought the this,
3: this season was uh I mean, no, September to January
1: No, you're that's the American football season
3: You're thinking of Well, here are the San Francisco 49ers
1: Oh, sorry I meant to say the San Francisco Giants
3: Ah Yeah Ah, okay. They're okay.
1: playing their hated rivals, the L.A. Dodgers. Yeah,
3: they all, they're always playing the L.A. Dodgers. I was looking at this on Google. <laughs> it's like the, every day uh, the San Francisco Giants play the L.A. Dodgers.
1: Well, in, they're reasonably close, just, you know, short. They're, they're playing
3: day. each other something like 12 times between now and... And you're going to get to go to
1: one of those games and enjoy it, Ken, and see what America's pastime is all about. Yeah. I'll take you out to the ballgame, Ken. How about that? I'll okay, take no,
3: I'll, I'll, I'll go to the ball game. To the ballgame.
1: All right, thanks very much. I do believe I just got corrected on my uh, American... San Francisco sports franchise knowledge by Ken there so I'm feeling pretty low about myself but we'll better we, we better wrap things up we'll talk to you again later on the, have a week uh, l- later later on the week I should say have a listen to our other show that we've already put out today that features Anthony Moyles and Usheen McConville on the uh, weekend's Gaelic Football the Alliance League final and we talked a lot about AP McCoy's final day as a professional jockey thanks very much Ken thank you too huh? thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon
3: Uh, that's the second time it done off. Huh? They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys.